Hello, greetings. Thank you for your interest in spiritual matters, and thank you for giving us the gift of spending time together as we continue to explore what God has made known in Christ and in the pages of Scripture. My name is Ethan, and I work with the Venice Church of Christ. We are Christians making up a non-denominational church in Los Angeles of disciples making disciples, and we'd love to be of encouragement to you. We'd love to hear your thoughts about our conversation today. Please let us know in the comments. And if we can be of any further assistance in your walk with God, let us know at VeniceChurchOfChrist.org. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. We, today, as Christians, live as citizens of two authorities, the United States of America and the Kingdom of God. And there are many times when these responsibilities may work well together, and there are times where they may be held in some tension. As in all things, we need to make our priority choice and go from there. In Matthew 6 and verse 33, uh, Jesus says that we should seek first God and his kingdom and his righteousness. And he will add everything else, everything else that we will need to that. And so, how can we begin to consider what our responsibilities might be toward God and toward America? Well, in Matthew 22, Jesus is confronted with a similar question about the Roman government, beginning in verse 15. Then the Pharisees went out to plan together to entrap him with their own words. They sent to him their disciples, along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are truthful and teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You do not court anyone's favor because you show no partiality. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? The Pharisees and Herodians think they've really got him now. This is uh, the gotcha question of the age. And in fact, we should see that it's kind of a gotcha question because the Pharisees and the Herodians have conspired about it. The Pharisees are the separate party. Uh, they have no love for anything involving Herod or Herod's family. The Herodians are the partisans on the side of Herod, Antipas, and Herod's rule. And so for the Herodians and the Pharisees to get together uh, is a very significant situation and just shows how uh, much Jesus was not appreciated across the political and cultural and social religious spectrum. And the question, of course, after all this fawning over him, is really designed to get him into trouble because the Israelites did not appreciate the rule of the Romans. And so... They figure whatever Jesus is going to answer is going to get him into trouble. Because if he says, no, you should not pay taxes to Caesar, then you can go to Pilate and say, hey, he said that people shouldn't pay taxes. And of course, that's very important to the rule of the Romans is maintaining the, the funds to continue to fund their empire. And he would not take kindly to that. But if Jesus were to say, yes, you should pay taxes to Caesar, then they can discredit him in front of all the people as a Roman sympathizer or as a collaborator or somebody who is um, not sufficiently agitated by the continual oppression uh, of the Roman authorities. And so what does Jesus do? He realizes their evil intentions, of course, and he says, hypocrites, why are you testing me? Show me the coin used for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. Jesus said to them, Whose image is this and whose inscription? They said, Caesar's. 
He said to them, Then give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. Now when they heard this, they were stunned, and they left him, and they went away. So Jesus is holding this coin that is given to him, as he asked for, that give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to give to God what is God's. Okay, so what are we to give to Caesar, and what are we going to give to God, right? So Jesus is holding this coin. And in a very concrete way, Jesus is, is, is saying, give this coin back to Caesar. Give this to Caesar. The Israelites did not like those coins at all. Those coins are blasphemous according to the Israelites. Because, not only because there is a faith, the image of the emperor, Tiberius in this case, which to them is going against the, the prohibition about uh, making uh, images of people, but the titles around it are Augustus, the son of the, the, the divinized Augustus. Uh, the very title and inscription on that coin is itself blasphemous, that no Jewish person could say that out loud with a straight face. And so they resented those coins. They resented what they represented. And so that is why it's easy for Jesus to say, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give back his coin to him. In Romans 13 and verse 7, uh, Paul says that taxes should be paid to whom taxes are due. And taxes should be paid regardless of the nature of the government to which they are being paid and the way that said government would use that money. And it's important to note that Paul is telling them to pay taxes to the very authority who is going to use that money to facilitate their persecution of Christians in many situations. So what Jesus is saying here will be consistent with what we get from Paul and Peter in Romans 13, 1-7 and 1 Peter 2, 13-17, where God has established these earthly authorities, and they're there for the benefit of mankind. Yeah, they abuse their power. But we're better off with them than without, despite the, the views of many libertarians and anarchists. It tends not to go well when you don't have uh, said authorities around. And not only that, uh, they are <clears throat> going to be held accountable by God. So Christians are told to give to Caesar uh, their obedience. They are to uh, not violate the law. Uh, we are only justified in showing a greater loyalty to Jesus if there is conflict and to suffer what may. And we put the foolish talk of unbelievers to shame when we prove obedient to the authorities because it shows that we're not acting like we're better than other people or better than the law or something of that sort. And we are to show proper respect to the authorities of the land. We may not agree with them on many matters, but we are called upon to respect them. After all, if Paul was going to stand before and show some re deference and respect to Nero, we certainly can respect our rulers. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul says that prayer should be offered for all people, especially those in authority, that we may live a tranquil and quiet life, uh, to be remain godly and dignified. And there's a lot that can be accomplished by the prayers of the righteous. And this is what we are expected to do in our rendering unto Caesar. So what are we then to render unto God? Of course, that's where it's, interest, it's interesting you can take this passage, and many have, and kind of try to use it as a bifurcation of the secular and the sacred, right? That the secular affairs belong to Caesar and the spiritual affairs belong to God. But that would be a, 
uh, retrojecting a very modernist perspective onto Jesus, for whom that kind of split, that kind of duality did not exist, and also undermining what he's trying to say. Because there's kind of a trick in here, right? Well, render unto God what is God's. Well, what is God's? What belongs to God? Well, God is the creator, right? If God is our creator, then everything that exists belongs to God. God has made us in his image. Do we therefore not belong to God? Yes, we belong to God. And everything that we have belongs to God. And that is why, as we saw in Matthew 6 and verse 33, we need to put him and his purposes first. That we are servants of God and citizens of his kingdom first in Philippians 3 and in verse 20. We owe God, if we were to use that term, our complete loyalty and devotion. That is no longer we who should be living, but the Son of God living in us in Galatians 2 and verse 20. That we should make our lives a living and holy sacrifice, uh, no longer conformed to the world, but transformed by the renewing of our minds in Romans 12, 1 and 2. And that is why we're supposed to put nothing between us and God in terms of things that are important. We're called in Matthew 10, for instance, to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and to follow him. That we need to die to sin to offer our lives as a sacrifice. The, the core concept in all of these passages, if you think about it, is, is the emptying of self for God, to sacrifice for God, to die, be crucified, to live, to deny ourselves, to follow him. All of these things require that kind of giving up of everything. And that is why we look at all of our resources as to be used for his purposes. Everything about us is to be oriented around him. So we think about resources, we think first of money, right? And that, that works. We see in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, for instance, that everything that we have is a gift from God. We need to use it for his purposes, that the money we have should be used to give to others. Uh, but we think about that. Everything that we have in our comes from him. We are stewards of what he has given us and will be held accountable for how we've used that and we're to use it in ways that glorify him. When we look in the scriptures, honoring father and mother is a way we can use our resources to glorify him. To provide for family uh, is a way that we can glorify him. Uh, by working and living on the labor uh, and the fruit of our labor from that work we're doing glorifies him in Second Thessalonians chapter 3. And, of course, we see also giving to the church to build up the church and its work uh, glorifies him, as well as helping the needy. So what we're trying to point out here is that this is not just say, hey, give all your money uh, to other people. This is saying that in how we use our money, we must glorify God, that God needs to be at the center of our finances and that everything we're doing in our finances is oriented around God and his purposes. And that's also going to be the way that we should look at our time, the way that we look at our the talents that we have, that our time is not we have to do all this stuff and then we have time left over for God, that God is at the center of time uh, that we have because all the time that we have is a gift that he has given us and that we are going to have to expend some of it for work. We are called upon to work. Uh, we're going to expend some of it in relating with people, with family members and friends and etc., uh, there is some uh, adequate time for rest, and we can even say for relaxation, 
Uh, that is certainly a part of it. And of course, the time that we're doing very active service to him, when we think about it in terms of assembling with the saints, praying, studying, helping those in need, um, anything of the sort that we would consider. Uh, and that's also in terms of our talents. God has given us many gifts. We think about how we can use them in our careers. We should also think about how we can use them to accomplish God's purposes in other ways for the church, for in other ways as well. In our relationships, also need to be given over to God. That we don't just say, okay, here's my relationship with God and put it in one box. And then we have a box for our relationship with family and for spouse and children and work and, and everything else. Know that, again, Jesus is in the middle of that. And we see this very powerfully in Ephesians chapter 5 and 6, where uh, he goes back to uh, what God has done in Jesus and who Jesus is to inform how husbands and wives should relate to each other, uh, how parents and children should relate to each other, how masters and slaves should relate to one another. So we can see that all the relationships that are going on in our lives, God is supposed to be at the center, and we are serving God as we serve one another and as we participate in those relationships. And this gets us also to start seeing things in God's way. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, that we are to cultivate this mind of Christ, to change our minds so that we now are trying to think in the ways God would have us to think, not the ways that we see around us that we need to maintain this mentality uh, of being in Christ and what it means to follow Jesus and to not allow that to be tainted by worldliness, not just the worldliness in front of us, but also the worldliness that may be behind us in the culture that we have accepted uh, in ways implicitly that need to be questioned and challenged. So we can see that if we're going to give to God what is God's, we're going to be expending ourselves fully for God. Everything that we have in our are going to be for God. We are going to orient everything around our relationship with God. And through our relationship with God, we can make sense of all things that we are doing or sh should be able to make sense of all things that we are doing and anything that we might encounter. But what happens when we have conflict uh, between God and Caesar? Well, we are to uh, obey God rather than man in Acts 5.29. Not justifying civil disobedience, it's a commitment to a higher loyalty to God in Christ, a willingness to uh, suffer uh, whatever may come. And that happens far less often in America than uh, many Christians want to think that it should. And... We should not be afraid. In Matthew 10 and verse 28, Jesus says, Do not fear the one who can destroy the body, but not the soul. Fear him who can destroy both body and soul in Gehenna. Uh, it's easy for us to worry about earthly things, and it's much easier for worldly forces to want us to be afraid. But God tells us that we should not fear them, that we need to have complete trust in him. And therefore, there's nothing that should happen on this earth that would disturb us. Very important for us to remember this passage, and many like it in Jesus' life, because there's a significant number of people who have always had a kind of mentality that wants America to be a Christian nation. And what they mean by that is that there is an expectation that in its governance, culture, and policy, America would reflect Christianity and Christian values. And while there are many ways in which we can and should encourage Americans to come to a knowledge of Jesus and to 
reflect the attitudes of what God has made known in Christ. And we can certainly encourage the government to do what is good and right and healthy for people and to stop doing what is exploitative, oppressive, and unhealthy for people. Uh, that, that is very important. But we should never presume that we can somehow develop and establish a Christian nation. Jesus was not given, when given the opportunity, Jesus doesn't say, yeah, we're going to set up our own state. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. Jesus did not come to establish a movement to create a nation state on earth that would reflect his values. No nation state would have been better equipped to do that than one Jesus himself would have started. The fact that Jesus did not do so, did not advocate for doing so, never suggested that Christians should do so or think they could do so, and in every instance made it as clear as he could that it's the ways of the Gentiles that will lord over people. It shall not be so among you in Matthew 20, 25 through 28, that Satan offered him control of the kingdoms of the world in the ways that it works here in the world. And Jesus said that you shall worship the Lord your God and him only in Matthew chapter 4. If that's the case, we cannot say as the church that we're going to go back around our Lord and Savior, go back to Satan and see if that offer is on the table. That is not glorifying God in Christ. America has never been and can never be a Christian nation. There is no nation in the world who has ever been or can ever be a Christian nation. May it be that America is filled with Christians, as other nations hopefully will be filled with Christians. And may it be that those Christians seek to encourage their authorities to do what is good and right and just. But may it never be that Christians look to the coercive force of the nation-state to impose their religion on other people, or to think that somehow it is by capturing the nation-state that is the way that we are going to be able to accomplish God's purposes. Because to Caesar we are to render what is his, respect, taxes, obedience to laws, appropriate honor. But all of us are to be devoted to the things of God and giving to God everything that belongs to him, which is all of us. Let us therefore fully serve God and be good ambassadors of the kingdom of God. We'd love to hear your thoughts or comments about our conversation here, about uh, rendering to Caesar and to God. Please let us know what you think. Let us go to God in prayer. Father, hallowed be your name. We're so thankful for all the blessings you've given us, the blessings of life, the blessings of, of Jesus, the blessings of the Spirit, the Word, and uh, all the spiritual blessings in Jesus, and all the material blessings that you've given us in this life. And we pray, Father, that we would always humbly remember that everything that we have in our comes from you and that we will use everything that you have given us in ways that glorify and honor you. We pray that you give us the wisdom and insight to do so. And we understand that part of what you have given us and part of how you've created all things is establishing earthly rulers and that we should provide them with the appropriate deference and, and respect and, and, and to provide them taxes. And we pray for all those involved in the governance of the earth 
that we may live in tranquility and peace and be able to uh, promote godliness. We pray they all will establish justice and do what is right and good and healthy for their people and to avoid all that is oppressive and unhealthy and ungodly for them. We pray that in all things we will dedicate ourselves to advancing the purposes of yours that you have established in your Son in his kingdom, and that we will recognize and keep our loyalty to him in that kingdom as primary. Continue to guide and guard and direct us to this end. And we pray all these things in the name of your Son, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We're again so glad that you've joined us. If we can be of any further service, please reach out to us at venturechurchofchrist.org. And may the Lord bless and keep you until we're able to meet again.